0: You know, in this Christmas time, there's one term that, for me, sticks out. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. So, uh, actually, we often think Christmas is a time where Jesus brings peace into our lives. And I think this is absolutely true. Jesus came to this earth to bring peace. But how does this look exactly? And today, we want to look at a very interesting topic Jesus brings peace into our emotional chaos. Who in here has an emotional chaos? Oh, oh wow. Okay. You guys are really honest. I already thought I, I, we have to preach to ourselves tonight, you know, because we do have sometimes emotional chaos. And we want to we um, go into this topic by looking at the story of three very interesting wise men in the Bible. So let's
1: So this is the message we're going to dive in tonight. And I want to start off with just asking you a simple question. What is robbing you of your peace? What is robbing you of your peace? We have all things that rob us of our peace. Maybe, maybe we can just show by hands. Um, When you're in rush hour and someone cuts in your way, who, who, who loses their peace when this happens? Some? Okay, you're you're really good drivers, you're okay, patient, very Jesus alike, I like it. What about if um, someone is chewing loud when he's eating? Yeah, yeah, we have here, like an elephant, yeah, very bad. Or what about if someone is in public transport, listening to TikTok videos on speaker? Yeah, like, if you're one of those, why do you do that? Like, (laughs) a serious question. So, for me, one thing that robs you of my peace are dogs. Yes, you heard correctly, dogs, the animal, some would, yeah, I know, like before you get offended, okay, and I yeah, know Dan got a dog, like and before you try to convince me how your dog is different than all the other dogs, um, I don't like dogs, I can't stand them, and um, there's two reasons for them, because first of all, I cannot control what they do to me. I cannot control if they touch me or not. And some of you might are like, oh yeah, buddy, come here. And it's touching you and it's licking your hand. And, and, and you like that. But I, I, I just really don't feel comfortable about that. And I don't like having dog all over me. It's just, it's just a fact. The other reason is, and I can say that because I'm a man of the 21st century. I'm afraid of dogs. Yes, you are correctly. I'm afraid of dogs. And you're like, bro, you afraid of dogs? Well, there's family history to it. So see, my mom, she grew up in Ghana as a missionary child. And she was bitten as a little girl by a dog in her hand. And I heard a lot of stories when I was a little, little Timmy from my mom, how she had to get 16 injections into her stomach to not get rabies. So now, okay, you're like, okay, these are African dogs. They're savages. Swiss dogs are not like that. See, my dad, he grew up in Switzerland and he was bitten by a dog in his face. Well, this is worse than a hand, all right? So you see, there's reasons why I don't like dogs. And now every time a dog runs towards me, I'm like, now it's my turn. You know, Jesus, I'm here. I'm here, take me. I'm here to for grabs. The dog can eat me alive. It's a true story. Like a couple of months back, I was walking um, on a walk with my girlfriend at the time. Now she's my fiance. Let's go. Yeah. yeah, that's, yeah. We were walking and the little, like the little dogs are the worst, the little dog runs towards us and it's just and you know at this point it's just reflex for me and I didn't, I'm not proud of what I did but I pushed my girlfriend in front of the dog and hid behind (laughs) and you know there was this weird moment where we looked at each other and we were like um, we both realized what just happened, she's like did you just, did you just push me in front of a dog? Man, dogs robbed me of my peace. I sacrificed my future wife to a little dog. (laughs) They robbed me of my peace. Maybe this is funny, but we all have things that rob us of our peace. What keeps you awake at night? Maybe it's something far more personal, far more intimate, intimate, something like maybe your son or your daughter is not walking with the Lord and they make dumb decisions, but you cannot make them for them and you feel so out of control. Maybe it's your future and you don't know where you're going to be tomorrow or like how your job is going to play out or the next steps and you feel so helpless. Not at control. My case is this tonight. That most of the things that rob you of your peace right now are things that are out of your control, but you try to control them anyways. They're outside of your control, but you try to control them anyways. Now, why would you do that? I think there's two reasons to that. First of all, it's human nature, that we don't like not feeling at peace. We like to be in control. So when there is something that robs us of control, we actually try to get it back, even though we even can't get it back. It's impossible in certain situations. Second of all, I think we live in a culture that is teaching us constantly that we get the more peace, the more control we have. The more control you'll have over your body, your health, your reputation, your job, your career, your relationships, the more peace you will be experiencing. But I'm sorry to disappoint you. The Bible teaches exactly the opposite to that. And it's summarized in the words of Jesus in Matthew 25 at 1625 where he says for whoever wants to save their lives hold on to their lives control their lives will lose it but whoever lets go of their lives loses their lives for my sake will actually find it so the Bible actually says this in other words it's not that you the peace comes when you finally have control over everything in your life but when you no longer need it are you with me you with me cool all right now let's dive in at our message in our passage sorry and um because we have there an example of a man who tries to control as much as he can to gain peace um we read in our passage in matthew 2 verse 1 jesus was born in bethlehem in judea during the reign of king herod herod the great some of us probably know him as the baby murderer at jesus birth time i want to look for him at him for a few minutes Because I think we can learn from him. King Herod was king of the Jews from 37 BC to 4 AD. Now, it's important to note that from the perspective of the Jewish population at the time, he wasn't the rightful successor of the throne for different reasons. First of all, he was only partly Jewish. That that would disqualify him. Second of all, he was not from the royal family line, from the so-called Hasmonean family, who was reigning at that time. So, he tried to justify his kingship in marrying into the family. He would take a wife from the the Hasmonean family. Her her name was Mariam, (laughs) almost like Dan's wife. Um, um, But that would still not be enough. No, he would be on the throne because Rome put him there. Now, why would Rome put Herod on the throne? Herod, before he started reigning as the king of the Jews in Galilee, he was an ally of the Roman Empire. He would help them and support them in some of their wars and they would crown him in Rome to be king of Galilee And he would go to Jerusalem attack it conquer it and kill the last Hasmonean king So now he was reigning in Jerusalem But you can guess that he was that he didn't found himself in a very secure position because the population wouldn't actually accept him as their king so What would Herod do? He would exactly do what we talked before about. He would try to get as much control over his life to be at peace again. He tried to control his future, for example, and his position as king by killing every potential competitor there was, including two of his sons. Like every competitor that would, would succeed him for the throne, he killed. Like his first act was killing 45 men who tried to fight him over the throne. There's this famous saying by, of Caesar Augustus, the Roman emperor at that time. He said, it's safer to be Herod's pig than Herod's son. Herod tried to control his reputation by marrying into the Hasmonean family. Historians say she was his favorite wife. And still, he executed her a couple of years later because he thought she plotted against him. He tried to control what people thought of him in constructing an insane number of buildings, um, temples, palaces, monuments, so that there would be only at least one thing that could people call him great for. And I know this last point that I, w- I think it's not here, but um, I think it's a harsh judgment to sa- to say that he was insane and I think that's an interpretation of my side, but, um, you know, I mean, we're talking here about men who five days before he died, as a sick old man, he killed one of his sons because he wouldn't want to wait till Herod died. Like, make your own judgment about this guy, Um, but it's knowing all this, we maybe understand a little bit better how Herod must have felt when those wise men from the East came, And said, Hey, who's where's this newborn king of the Jews? He was definitely not at peace. So, why not? Because he understood, Herod understood one thing that when this baby is king, he cannot be. There cannot be two kings. Now, when I look at our passage in chapter two, Matthew chapter two, um, it's a story about Jesus being born, and everything seems kind of going hand in hand. But there's this character, Herod the Great, and this character, he kind of seems to interrupt the whole narrative a little bit. I was reading this passage the other day, and I was asking myself, all right, like, why is that even in here? Why is this important enough to be written down, this whole story with Magi and, and Herod the Great? I mean, it's a story about Jesus being born, the hope of all nations. What is, what is, what is Herod doing? In this passage and as I was reading this passage I suddenly realized who Herod really is. Herod is me. Herod is you. Herod is every human being ever lived. You know what I mean? We're maybe not kings like him but we all have in one way or the other crowned ourselves to be kings and queens of our own lives we all have tried to build our own little kingdom where we are in charge where we are in control where we are at the center of attention and have left god out and so the truth is we all have a little bit of herod inside of us a little bit of it The Bible is very clear about that, that there can be only one king. And even the kings of the Old Testament, David, Saul, they were only kings because God put them there because the Israel people wanted them to be their king. But God always said, humans were never meant to be king. I want to be their king. And the reason why they want a human king is because they don't want me to be their king. So when you are king of your life, there's no room. For Jesus, and we see that at Herod's life. So to close my part, how is how is it playing out for you? How is it being in control? Are you at peace? Could it be that you're maybe not at peace because you're holding on in certain areas to kingship, to control, and you're not surrendering it to the real king? Because even though there's a little bit of King Herod in all of us, doesn't mean we have to end like him. There's an alternative. And it is in this, we read that um, in our passage. We read in Matthew 2:11 when the Magi came, they found the baby, they entered the house, they saw the child of his mother, they bowed down and worshiped him. And I love that the Bible calls them in other translations, wise men. As if wisdom is defined by, we know that we are not kings, and we know that Jesus is. We know that we are not to be worshipped, but to worship. And so, the first present, we read it in the verse, is gold. And I brought that here as an illustration, gold crown. And to bring gold to someone, in that context, would mean to acknowledge their royalty. And so, what, where does that leave us? You can be in control, with your crown on your head, or you can actually put it at the feet of the one who really is, Jesus Christ our Savior.
0: I really believe addiction to control can bring chaos, emotional chaos to our lives. I want to go into a second topic, a second thing that brings emotional chaos and it is bitterness now if you would have asked me a few weeks ago um, Joel are you bitter i would say no of course not because for me a bitter person maybe so like a grumpy old man that always says this is not good and like i had this this neighbor we used to uh, we used really to have a big fear of him this neighbor with a dog he had a dog so maybe dogs make bitter no, 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 sorry, 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 sorry. I'm not going, I'm no, I'm not going there. But then I read something, because bitterness is a very current topic in psychology at the moment. Because many people are still suffering from what happened during the COVID pandemic. Although it's already far away, not so far, but it's still here, still affecting a lot of people. And so psychologists are really now uh, writing a lot of stuff about bitterness, embitterment. And I want to have a look at it because it affects us all. They say bitterness is a very natural feeling that you have. It starts there. When you, when you have perceived injustice, breach of trust, or grievance, it's very common to have temporary bitterness. So it's like that feeling if you're standing in line in the queue at your coffee shop and you're waiting and then when you're there, the cashier says, sorry, we're closing here, you have to go into the uh, other line. And then you have to wait again in line the whole time. So you know that feeling? Or you know that you're working in a company for years and you get no promotion and nobody says thank you, that feeling that starts to be in your heart. And normally it goes away. Or maybe somebody broke up a relationship with you. That happened to me like um, two years ago, I had two people in my life that just um, wrote me a text and blocked me. And those were quite close uh, people in my life. One was a friend for 20 years. He wrote me a text message, you forgot my birthday, I don't want to be your friend. And of course it, I I was, I was sad and I knew, okay, I hurt him, but in the same time, that's not fair. That's not fair. I invested so much into him. I loved him. I was there for him. I helped him and, and, and now he's quitting this relationship and something started. Like this bitterness started to grow and it went into the second thing. There was a stimulus-linked bitterness. Stimulus-linked bitterness means every time somebody came to me and criticized me, for example, my wife criticized me for something, I reacted with, okay, and now you're criticizing me, are you going to leave me? You know, this anger, this aggression was still in my heart and it triggered me very quickly. And there I realized, okay, there's a bitterness inside of my heart that had nothing to do with my wife. Nothing to do with the other people. But bitterness started to grow. And you know, psychologists found out that bitterness can already go into this, that bitterness becomes a tendency. So it becomes part of your personality. So then you are like a little bit a grumpy old man, you know? And, and that's, why, that's why bitterness comes into, uh, into your heart and you, you need to get rid of it. Bitterness is like weed in a garden, not the thing you smoke, you know, the thing that grows inside it, next to the flowers. Yeah, just for any young people here, that's what I'm preaching here about. And if you don't take it out, it will grow and it will take more place. And you know, now here's the thing, why it is so, uh, such a current topic. They found out that bitterness can even lead to post-traumatic embitterment disorder. Maybe, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder and they found out that, that there is a sickness coming out of bitterness. They found out that people, for example, they, they, they lost their small businesses during COVID. And it totally, it totally destroyed their life. And now COVID is over and they could actually have a new business, start a new business. Something inside of them, the bitterness, destroyed them that much that they are no longer able to work at all. And it affected their relationships and it became self-destructive. So we do have a problem at this time with bitterness. Let's go back to the story of the three wise men. About the same times, Matthew 2 says, wise men came from eastern lands, arrived in Jerusalem. Now let's look at those people. They actually come from Ekbaba, Uh, sorry, uh, Ekbatana. Ekbatana is the city well, that's what the theory says, that was, uh, was Babylon before. So they were part, actually, I always thought these were like some crazy magicians, but it doesn't say magicians. It says Magoi. So Magoi from the city of, uh, of Ecbatano, and it was a part of a group of Jewish people. You know, some hundreds before Jesus was born, the, the Israelites were conquered by the Assyrians. And they took everybody to Babylon. And there they lived. And some went back to Israel, but some stayed there. So there was a group of Jews still there in Babylon. And they they are still living there. So in in northern Iran, there are still um, Jewish people living there for thousands of years. So out of this, uh, this, uh, this history, those three wise men came. And they were most probably they were, they were um, priests. So Jewish priests that, that, that read the signs, they were influenced by David and the other prophets and they knew a Savior will come. And they made the whole way. I brought a map here. So they went from, from uh, Ek- Ekbatana, like 399 hours, almost 2,000 kilometers they walked. And they went to Jesus. You know, Actually, they were Jews and they could have said, you know, we are the forgotten ones. God promised to bring a savior, but he forgot us. You know how often Jesus was in Ekbatana when he was living on this earth? Zero times. Everything was just in Israel. But they came to Jesus and they brought Precious gift and I want to look at this reaction. They had because it had a lot to do with bitterness What they did they gave the first thing they gave uh, him was gold to crown Jesus as King the second thing was frankincense and they were priests and to give Jesus frankincense was for a baby actually quite odd, but You know what they did with that. They gave Jesus a gift for, of a priest so they said Jesus you are a new priest So that's frankincense. I, I hope you can sense it So what does that mean they said Jesus You are my priest You are the one that will guide our Hearts towards God, you know the special thing about priests is when you go into the temple with all your bitterness, with all your burdens, with all your hurts, you don't come to the priest and they will say, okay, what do you need? I will give it to you here right now. No, what a priest does, you go into the temple and a priest will be there and will say, you have problems, you have needs. I will guide you step by step. The first thing, come here. You are accepted by God. You are precious, you are loved. Then the next thing, here is the part where you ask God for forgiveness for your sin. Then the next thing, here is the the part where you just worship God in all your bitterness. Worship Him. Here is the next part. Now it's time to forgive others. And then the next part, and the priest takes you step by step, and that's what Jesus does. Let Jesus be your priest in your bitterness, in your anger. And he will not just take it away, but let him guide you through all these steps to forgive, to get forgiveness, to heal. You know, frankincense actually already has healing power. So let Jesus be your priest. And I love it that those wise men said, Jesus, be our priest. And in Hebrew it says, but because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever. Jesus still wants to be your priest, to guide you when you go and seek God, to guide you step by step into this peace and do the right steps to bring truth into your life and peace. And then there's a third gift. And I love this one. And this is actually real myrrh here. And they gave Jesus myrrh, which is also quite interesting. Because the myrrh, you might ask, what, what did Jesus use it for? And it says uh, that the myrrh was uh, mentioned in Jesus' life at one other point, And it was when Jesus died. You know, they took the dead body, put it into the uh, tomb, and then there... They put myrrh on his body. And so what they did, they said, Jesus, you are the savior. You are the one that died for everything in us that is not whole yet. You died for all our sins, but you died also for everything that is heard in myself. And you can make us whole again. You now, especially when you're bitter. Your heart always tells you, revenge is the right answer and it will heal you. But it is not. Healing comes when Jesus can touch your inners, Because Isaiah 53, verse 5 says, but he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sin. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be Healed in his wounds, we can be healed. And I realized when I, in my life, look, bitterness is is an important topic for all of us. We often get bitter because life is not fair. But in all this, I let Jesus be my priest and I know he's my savior who will heal me. And I trust him to guide me step by step. I want to invite you today to open up your emotional chaos. It's like to open the door of your hearts and to make those three statements. Jesus, I want you to be my king. I let go of control. I want you to be my priest. In my crisis, in my bitterness, you shall be the one who guides me. And I want you to be my savior, to heal everything, and make my heart whole again. Amen. Hey, thanks for watching.